Thank you, Pastor Holmes. Praise the Lord again, everybody. It is once again a great honor and privilege to stand here today and appreciate very much the invitation to be a part of this camp meeting once again. Thankful for what the Lord has been doing in these services. Looking forward to the remainder of it uh, this uh, day, and I'll be so glad to get my part out of the way, but I give honor to Brother Holmes and all of the great men of God that are here, uh, many of whom are my friends, others I'm just getting acquainted with, and I, uh, I see so many here today that I would rather hear this afternoon than to be doing this myself, but we want to be obedient and we want to be a blessing. I want to say that it's been good also to be with my family this week. They don't always get to travel with me. Glad to have my wife with me today. My sons, good to be with my uncle, Brother Raul Alviar Sr., and then my cousin Raul Jr. and his wife, I think, had to leave today, but it's been a privilege to be with them, a unique opportunity. Three LVRs preaching in the same conference. It's an ambush. Amen. <clears throat> but uh, uh, we salute the great work that they are doing. I, I'm also grateful for the other missionaries that are here. I love, I love missionaries, and I have a reason to. I'm a product of the mission field, and uh, I think of the very small threads, thin threads, that have contributed to my being here today and how, uh, how great a miracle it was for the Lord to cause the paths of two men on two different continents to converge and, uh, and to bring us the truth, bring us the message. Amen. Every time I travel to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I will soon be making my seventh trip there in the last three years. But every time I go, a vast city of over 20 million people in the metropolitan area, you could put the population of many of the states of our country in that one city. And, and I see that vast sea of humanity, and I so often ask the question, and I know I've mentioned this uh, frequently, but I've always asked the question, God, how did you find us in all these people? And I'm so glad that somebody went down with a burden and a vision and was willing to recognize the hand of God. And that's why I stand before you today. I am deeply grateful that the Lord has brought us this great truth. I don't take it lightly. I love it with all of my heart. And I'd like to think that I'm a very uh, congenial person, but there's nothing that gets my dander any quicker than somebody who doesn't manifest a love for this truth, for this message. And uh, my father had many opportunities to turn around and go back we had to leave the large group that we were with when he was baptized in Jesus' name. He was pastoring one of the fastest-growing churches in 
all of Brazil at that time, several thousand in membership, and we had to start over from scratch. And there was a lot of trouble and a lot of persecution, but he never went back. And I'm glad he never went back. And by the grace of God, I'm not going back. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And I am, I am distressed by the fact that the very man that brought us the truth and his sons have gone back. And they are deep into the charismatic movement today. Praise the Lord. I don't rejoice in that. I just pray that the Lord will give me an even greater love for this message. I hope that's your desire today. So the Lord has never called me to the mission field, but He has given me a burden for missionaries, and I love them. Salute the great work that they are doing. Praise the Lord. Well, today I have, I have kind of a different message on my heart than the direction we went in last night. I have sought the Lord long and hard and carefully, and I have really, really tried to uh, go a different direction, but this is what I feel, and I just want to be a blessing today. If you will turn in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, amen. I'm not going to try to hit a home run today. I don't know if I could anyway. Uh, I think if I can just bunt and get on base, we've got a couple of heavy hitters coming on tonight. Maybe they'll drive me on around home. Good to see my good friend, Brother Godare, come in. Looking forward to him tonight as well as Brother Booker again. Praise God. Hebrews 11 and reading beginning with verse number 32. The Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings, and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, 
receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. I want to direct your attention especially to the 35th verse. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And I just want to talk to you from my heart for a few minutes today, a little while, about the other side of faith. The other side of faith. Amen. Not my usual type of preaching, but it's what I feel today. Would you lift your hands and ask the Lord to help us? Hallelujah. God, would you lead us and guide us? Grant your anointing and unction today. Help me one more time to just convey what you would have me to say. Talk to us, God, in a very real and special and personal way. And we'll thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. We've all spoke much concerning faith, heard a lot of preaching about it. A lot of mention has already been made in this meeting concerning it. Brother Holmes was just remarking about it. And I don't know about you, but in my estimation, maybe I've got a lot of growing and maturing and learning to do, but faith strikes me as one of the most abstract things in the world. It's very hard to put your finger on it. It's very hard to get a hold of it. Uh, it's not possible to package it. You can't go somewhere and handle it. You can't go somewhere and buy it. You can't even define really what it looks like or even what it feels like. It just seems very mysterious and abstract. And yet, it is the method that God has chosen whereby we may walk with Him. The Bible still says in Second Corinthians 5 and verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And I don't, uh, I don't think that's an easy scripture to embrace. We all prefer the sight than the walking by faith. And in Hebrews 10 and verse 38, the Bible said, Now the just shall live by faith. And here again, we're talking about something that's so hard to grasp and get a hold of, so abstract. And yet, the Bible says very definitely that the just shall live by faith. In my opinion, even the definition given to us by the Word of God is, is hard to understand, hard to comprehend. And now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It sounds good. I like to quote it and I like to hear it, but 
and maybe somebody else here today that has a better understanding can better explain what that means. I confess that it's just a little elusive for me, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And yet, faith is real enough that the Bible said here, by it the elders obtained a good report. We've already heard faith holds on when, when uh, everything else lets go. Believes when there is no reason to believe. And it brings results when nothing else will work. Praise the Lord. And uh, we all have a limited appreciation or estimation of what faith is. And I would like to, for just a moment, uh, reiterate the well-known side or aspect of faith, the one that gets talked about the most, that gets the most press, what I would call the positive or the productive side of faith, kind of a feeble way of putting it perhaps, but this chapter is full of very vivid illustrations of it. It tells us of the faith that Enoch had and that by it he was translated that he should not see death. It speaks about the faith of Noah who moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. It tells us about Abraham and how great his faith was. And uh, the Bible speaks in another place that who against hope believed in hope. Even when hope turned around and mocked him, he still believed in hope and uh, trusted that God's promise concerning a son would come to pass. And it did. And then when he had the son that he had longed for and waited on for so long, and he is now a robust and, uh, uh, and a wonderful young man, the pride of his life, amen. Uh, God makes a very peculiar request and asked him to offer him up in a place that he would show him. And so it appears, at least from reading the narrative, that Abraham never even hesitated, that he got everything together and got his son, and they headed off toward the mount that God would show them to offer up his son. Hallelujah. Now we can say that perhaps Abraham just knew that God would interrupt him at some point, that God would prevent him from really carrying it out, that he started out with the confidence that somewhere along the way that God would not uh, expect him to really follow through. But that's not what I read in Scripture. The Bible said, accounting, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Now that is phenomenal faith.
in my book. I believe that when he took the knife in hand with his son lying on the altar, bound just like an animal, and he raised that knife high, he fully intended to plunge it into the heart of his only son, believing that if God said from him, you will have a posterity that is so numerous it is like the stars in the sky and the sand by the seashore, that God would do exactly that. And if he had to kill him, that God would raise him from the dead. That is amazing faith. It is because of such things that the Bible refers to him as the father of the faithful. Praise the Lord. What an example. We can speak about the faith of Jacob who wrestled with God. Would not let him go until he received the promise. He left that encounter a changed man even with a new name. Not Jacob, supplanter, deceiver, but Israel. For as a prince, he had power with God and he had prevailed. Hallelujah. We could speak about Moses who when he was come to years refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And the Bible said that by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. It took a lot of faith to do that. We could speak of Joshua and the conquest of Jericho. We could speak of Rahab, who because of her faith, she was saved and her household because of obedience to the uh, assurances given by the spies. We could speak of Gideon who with a small band of 300 men, not armed to the teeth but with pitchers and lanterns and trumpets, they defeated a vastly superior foe, a host that could not even be numbered. We could speak of David slaying Goliath. What amazing faith that took for him to look at that big overgrown monstrosity and, and he was not even impressed with his size. There is not one indication that David was in awe of the size, the girth, the ability, the, uh, uh, the experience that that man had. He simply believed that man has challenged God. And God is going to kill him some way or another. And if God's going to kill him, he might as well use me. If he doesn't use me, he'll use a lion. He'll use a heart attack. He'll use a stroke. But that man is a goner. He is as good as dead. You know, a lot of times what we call faith is nothing more than just knowing how God works and then just stepping into his plan and letting his plan unfold. On and on we could go. The three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace who without flinching or batting an eye could stand before the king who was the most revered and feared king in all of civilization at that time and say, we are not even careful about answering you. The God that we serve is able. 
to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver you out of deliver us out of your hand O king and they went into the fiery furnace and came out you know the story without even the smell of smoke and Daniel in the lion's den and oh these stories are uh, they are uh, they are the uh, the, the cause of a whole lot of shouting and rejoicing and excitement. How many times they have been repeated over and over. They've inspired us and challenged us. And we want our faith to be like that. Everybody with me so far today? This is faith that brought about glorious results. We read about it here. They subdued kingdoms. Wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Oh, I want that kind of faith. Truly I do. Truly I do. But then there is another aspect of this. There is another side of faith. Perhaps the more ignored or forgotten side. The one that doesn't get as much press. It doesn't get as much mention. Not as much acclaim and fame. The one that isn't talked about very much because... Really, when it comes down to it, we don't even see this as faith. We don't even classify it as faith. When the Bible speaks about others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection, others had trial of cruel mockings, and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. One stopped the mouth of lions, the others were ripped in pieces by lions. What's the matter, brother? Don't you have very much faith? What's the matter, brother? You that are living in wilderness and deserts and caves and dens, where is your faith? You that are being stoned and sawn asunder and your families butchered and decimated, what is wrong with your faith. I hope you'll just let me talk to you from my heart today. But what I want to tell you this afternoon is that, according to what I read in Scripture, this took no less faith than the first kind that brought about the great deliverances, the great miracles. Hallelujah! the great victories. And so, faith, from what I can see, is not always productive for the present. Faith does not always bring the immediate results 
and rewards that we expect or think that it will. We think that if we have faith, it means that something is imminently going to happen. We don't think of it as being, amen, a long time of trying and difficulty. We see that as a lack of faith. And yet, both sides, if I can use that expression, because there really isn't two sides of faith. Faith is just faith. But both sides of faith were equally recognized and approved of God. My Bible says at the conclusion of this narrative, and these all, everybody say all, having obtained a good report through faith. When God looked at the persons that came out of the fire and quenched the violence of it, and those that put to flight the armies, and those that stopped the mouths of lions, and then here comes this other group. Hey man, they have been through every form of violence and opposition and torture and trouble and difficulty and they are coming out of this God looked at the whole crew and said you get an A on your report card these all received a good report through faith one kind of faith is no more nor less faith than the other what I would like to do today, if the Lord will help me, is somehow encourage somebody who has been looked down on by somebody who said, if you just believed God, this wouldn't be happening to you. If you had as much faith as I did or do, you wouldn't be suffering this situation. You wouldn't be dealing with this problem, this sickness, this challenge. Praise the Lord. The truth of the matter is this. There are times when we are going to experience both of them. We are going to have times in our life when we are going to pray and it will seem like Almost instantly, God is going to work for us. It may even take us by surprise. We might be shocked by it. We're gonna, you're going to walk down to the front. Somebody's going to lay hands on you. And instantly, you're going to get your healing. And then there might be other times you're going to get prayed for a hundred times and nothing is going to happen. And the devil is going to begin to browbeat you. What is wrong with your faith? I am here to tell you there isn't just one kind of manifestation of faith. There is that other side of faith. And when you can get prayed for the hundredth time and you still come back to church and you lift up your hands and you worship and you glorify God, God says that is faith too. 
I don't, I don't understand everything I know about this. There's a lot of things that don't make sense to me. Praise the Lord. Uh, there is an ancient Chinese philosophy. Some of you perhaps are familiar with it, and I'm certainly not here to endorse it, but it is the ancient philosophy of yin and yang. And the philosophy of yin and yang, and this is part of Chinese culture, they, they believe that yang is the positive things of life, the good things, the happy things, the times of gladness and cheer. And then there is yin, and the yin is the negative and the unappealing and the tragic and the challenging. And their philosophy is that for you to experience life fully, to get the most out of life, you must experience both the yin and the yang. And that there is a balancing of yin and yang in life, and uh, you must have both in order to appreciate life fully. Well, I don't know about Chinese philosophy, and I'd be, uh, I'd be, uh, mis I'd be deceiving you if I tried to act like I, uh, I really understand all that. But, uh, but I can say this, praise the Lord. The Bible says in the uh, book of Ecclesiastes, book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, if I can find it real quick. Praise the Lord. Chapter 7, it said, Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. The day of adversity is a time of considering. It is a time of taking inventory. It is a time, should be a time of reflection. Not feeling sorry for yourself, but taking stock of your life. Evaluating where you're at, what you're doing. And the Bible said, God hath also set the one over against the other. To the end, that man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. We've all seen it. We've all seen good people that have been faithful to God all of their life. They have been loyal to their church obedient and submissive to their pastor. They've never failed to give of their tithes and their offerings to the work of the Lord. They've been obedient in all things. And yet, massive trouble comes their way. And then there are other folks, it seems like they're always living on the fringe, always pushing the edge of the envelope, Always seeing how much they can get by with. And it seems like they're just skipping through life. Amen. Like dancing through the tulips. And everything is coming up roses and, and going their way. And if you're not careful, you will begin to question your very experience and relationship with God. That's what the Bible speaks of in the Psalm of Asaph that we have, uh, that we're so familiar with. Psalm chapter 73, when the writer said, 
He said, my my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm just here to tell you, my friends, there's some things that aren't going to make any sense in this life. I know that the ideal is if you live for God, if you do everything right, God's going to bless you and everything you touch is going to turn to gold. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't always happen that way. Some of the finest Christians I ever knew were my grandparents and they died paupers. Paupers. Hallelujah. Now I'm not telling you that God doesn't bless his people. Of course he does. Don't make me have to qualify everything or we'll be here all day long. I'm just telling you that along with all of this, and I will say this, living for God dramatically improves and increases your prospects of enjoying the best that life can offer. No doubt about that. A young person who will live for God vastly increases the possibility of their getting the best jobs, their promotions, the opportunities, amen, and enjoying the good things of life. I know that. I understand that. But I'm also here to tell you that there are those times you look around and you see where it doesn't happen just like that. You better be careful before you single somebody out who's going through the very, amen, valley of the shadow of death and everything is falling apart, hallelujah, and saying, I wonder what's wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. Let me tell you what's happening. They're walking on the other side of faith. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Everyone is going to have their turn. Everyone. The Bible said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. You're doing good today? Be careful about passing judgment on somebody else. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, you know what? The longer I live, the less I want to pass judgment on some folks. I I see pastors and their wives who have been faithful to God all of their days. And they're doing nothing but trying to do a work for God. And their kids are rebels and backsliders and they're bringing shame to the cause of Christ. I'm not about to say, i tell you what, if it was me, I'd do this and that and the other. You don't know what you'd do. Well, you've got all your kids living for God. You know what you need to do? You need to come into the sanctuary and lift your hands and thank God every day. Because there aren't any guarantees, honey. 
Some of the greatest men in Pentecost that I know have to live with the heartache and the heavy cross of children that are not living for God. And it weighs on them every time they get up to preach. You know what you need to do? You need to pray for them that God will hold them up because there is no heavier burden than that. I watched my dad, as I mentioned last night, who, amen, has, was responsible for thousands of people, one way or the other, coming into the kingdom, spreading the pictures out of his children. One of my brothers is practically an atheist today. Another one attends a Trinity, Assembly of God Church. I have, amen, a sister who's backslid. Forgive me for being this personal. And another sister who attends a loose, charismatic Pentecostal church. Hallelujah. And I watched him lay all the pictures out and bawl like a baby and say, I gave my life for this gospel and my own children are going to hell. And I will tell you this. He fought a good fight. He finished his course and he kept the faith. He kept the faith. And I believe that when he stepped on the other side, that God said, you get a good report. Can I just preach how I feel today? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I think we ought to lift our hands right now and ask the Lord to help us. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. Is your church doing good? Are you having revival? Are you, are, are you taking the city? Well, let me tell you something. Rejoice in it. But know this, that the Bible said, The fire shall try every man's work. You're not going to get out of here without that. In one way or another, it might be through a physical ailment. It might be through a family trial. It might be through opposition or division in the church. It might be a financial thing. I don't know how it's going to be, but I will tell you this. The fire shall try every man's work. When it happens, don't start wondering, what's wrong with my faith? I'm trying to hurry today. The Bible gives us many examples, and I'm not going to go into a lot of that today, but it speaks about, uh, I've thought of, of Joseph a lot, and I'm not going to, as I said, take a lot of time with that, but, but here's a young man who, through no fault of his own, you hear me? No fault of his own, was, was sold into slavery by his brethren. Sometimes it's your brethren you have to worry about the most. <clears throat> Envies and jealousies. Who does he think he is? Somebody starts being used or promoted a little bit. There's always those ready to yank him down. Anyway, 
ends up in Potiphar's house and, and then again through no fault of his own, but rather because he stayed true to God. Who would have known if he hadn't? He was cast into prison. You think God said, oops, how did that happen? Somebody get down there and get him out in a hurry. That's my child. He's not supposed to be in prison. He languished there, the best I can figure, between 11 to 15 years before the Lord brought him out. It was a full 22 years or so before that young man was vindicated. Could we wait 22 years for vindication without getting bitter and hateful? And yet the Bible says of him that an excellent spirit was in him. They just couldn't keep him down. You know what? Through all those 11 to 15 years, with nobody knowing where he was at or even caring, he still just kept walking with God on the other side of faith. When it was all said and done, he told his brethren, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for good. God had a hand in it all along. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. We all know about Job and his troubles. And he lost everything he had in his poor old wife. We like to quote her in, 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 with a sneer and in, and in snide tones. Curse God and die. Well, how would you feel if you had just buried all of your children? All of them. Lost your home, everything you possessed. Those were words that came from a frustrated and anguished heart. Of course, Job still reproved her. You speak as a foolish woman. Shall I receive the good at the hand of the Lord and not the evil also? If God is in this somehow, I'm willing to submit to it, whatever he wants to do. It gets worse before it gets better. And he's sitting there in ashes, scraping his boils with broken potsherds. And his friends, oh, thank God for friends. They come around and they study him for several days. They just sit there and they watch him. Hmm. For days, he's sitting there scraping boils and looking from one to the other, and they're just watching him. And when they finally open their mouth, they don't say, Job, we're with you, brother. We're praying for you. They said, you must have done something really bad or you wouldn't be in this fix you're in. Come on, Job, fess up. We know you messed up somehow or another. And they come with all of their arguments, and Job sits there. Amen. And you've got to admire his, uh, 
his humility takes it for a long time and finally he just, he says, let me tell you boys something, I'm not inferior to you. Begins to make his defense. And in so many words he says, I don't know what's happening. I can't understand what's taking place. And I can't see the motive or reason for this. It's hidden from me. But though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. If I don't get deliverance, if I don't get healing, if this doesn't turn around, I'm still going to trust him. He said, I've looked for him everywhere. I've looked for him in front and behind, on the right hand, left hand. I can't find him anywhere, but I do know this much. He knows the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, amen, he shall, I shall come forth as gold. I'm preaching to somebody here today, I feel in my heart. You got to just hold on. Can you give me just a few more minutes? I read about Paul, the great apostle. And I read where he writes about knowing a man in Christ once. And he said, this man, he was caught up into the third heaven. And he saw and heard things that were not lawful to be uttered. And as he speaks about this, and it happened, what, 14, 15 years prior to what he is writing. And, and as, he, as you read further, it soon becomes apparent, at least to me, that he is talking about himself. But he's talking about himself like he's talking about somebody else. I knew a man in Christ once. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder, really, I, I think I know what he meant. You look back to your tender years, your early days, when it just seemed like you walked in faith and everything was just, you were so bold and confident and it almost seems like it was a different person, a different time. I knew a man in Christ once. Oh, he was strong in faith. He was courageous. He was bold. And maybe I'm misinterpreting that, but this is just the way I, I see it. But he said, because of the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And there's been a lot of debate about what that might have been. To me, it's immaterial. There are some that think it was a, a disease of the eyes that Paul's eyes ran. He speaks about, uh, I think, to the Corinthian church that there was a time when they would have gladly plucked their eyes out for him. 
I don't know if that is it. There could, it could have been some other kind of sickness. I, I just happened to take it literally. He said, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Whether it was just a spirit or whether it was an individual that followed him around and harassed him everywhere he turned, I don't know. But whatever it was, he knew that it was a messenger of Satan. Again, I don't think it's, it's, it's all that uh, important what it was. What I do see is this. It was a thorn in the flesh. I preached a message years ago on the man in Christ and the thorn in the flesh. Because it's not the man in Christ that you have to worry about. The man in Christ, amen, is fervent in Scripture. The man in Christ is bold and courageous and full of faith. The man in Christ is not afraid of anything or anybody. But it's when you get away and there is that continual harassment and the thorn doesn't matter, it's the flesh that matters. If it hadn't have been for the flesh, there wouldn't have been any problem. The flesh is the avenue. The flesh is the target. The flesh is the opportunity for the enemy to wear us down and grind us down. Whatever it might be that he uses, amen, as the thorn. It is the flesh. And Paul said, I asked God about this three times. Well, Paul, you just didn't have enough faith, brother. Well, it's quiet now, but... that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And once Paul understood what was going on, he had an attitude shift. And instead of wanting to be delivered from it, he said, well, if I'm going to have to keep it, then he said, I might as well rejoice in it. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. And that passage literally means my tabernacle over me, like a tent. It's like God overspreading himself like a tent. Oh, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you're going through today, whether you're going through the good times or the bad times. The important thing is just rejoice in him. Glorify him. Glory in whatever you're doing. And God will overspread you. And he said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I wonder how many pastors have left mission, have left church works. when the heat was on because somebody or the enemy persuaded them if you were in the will of God 
this would not be happening to you. May I remind you that you know the story about Jesus calming the storm? We referenced it last night. Remember that story? Guess what? They were in the perfect will of God. They didn't get in that boat on their own accord. They got in that boat because Jesus said, get in the boat and let's go to the other side. And while they were en route, the storm blew up. You missed it. You miscalculated. No, they were in the perfect will of God. When the storm came, the important thing was that he was on hand to say, that's enough. Peace be still. I'm going to try to hurry today. I want to just relate a personal experience. And there's a reason why I'm not going to relate it as though I have experienced or suffered any more than anybody here. There are people here that have been true warriors under the most adverse circumstances. But back when I was a young, fledgling evangelist, now I'm just an, an aging, fledgling pastor, but when I was a young, fledgling evangelist, and I had just gotten married, my wife and I were married five months. We were preaching a revival in the state of Illinois. We were in the will of God, preaching a revival. Everything we had was devoted to our ministry. It was, on, it was an off night. The church where I was preaching was building a new sanctuary. And on that off night, the men had come to work on the building. The women had gone to a prayer meeting. Later on, the women returned. It was getting late. Most of the men got together with their wives and left. There was just a handful left. Our trailer was parked there on the new construction site. And uh, it was a cool September evening. And there was a bonfire going with materials there from the construction. And so somebody said, let's pull up some planks, let's sit around the fire, let's warm by the fire. And so we did. And uh, we were just talking and chatting. My wife was sitting uh, close by the pastor's wife, and my wife was holding a little girl in her lap, a little five-year-old girl. And uh, somebody even suggested, let's get some marshmallows, roast some marshmallows. Okay, that sounded good. Before we could act on that, suddenly, it was like hell breathed out on us. There was an explosion. And what happened was, we didn't know this, but, but there was a man in the church that had changed out the shock absorbers on his pickup truck that afternoon there on the job site. And uh, the old shock absorbers were lying on the ground, and we found out later one of the children running around had picked one of these up and had gone and thrown it in the fire, which had been burning all day long, to see what would happen. 
nothing happened immediately. It was only hours later when we were assembled around it that the, uh, the seal around the shaft evidently finally burnt away and that hydraulic fluid came out under pressure and it ignited as it went through the flames and turned it into a huge flamethrower. Now you are sitting around a bonfire, no thought of anything like this in your mind, and the next thing you know, boom, and there is this huge explosion, and then this flamethrower, and it engulfed my wife in flames. We were so taken in shock, it took a moment or two to react, and then when we recovered, everybody hollered at the same time, Jesus! And I went running. I was on the other side of the fire from her. I went running to where she was at, my young bride. She came stumbling out of the fire with this child, and she dropped the child, and she collapsed just as I got to her. I picked up my wife in my arms, and I looked down, and my heart sank. Her face was burnt. Her hair was singed. But... Her, her legs from the knees down, the nylons had burnt into her legs. We later learned she had suffered third-degree burns on both legs from the knees down. I carried her into the trailer. We prayed. We then took her to the hospital. If you have a conviction against that, please don't, don't fall out with me today. Let me just tell you the story as it happened, all right? I would not take away your personal conviction that's between you and God. But we took her to the hospital and they started bathing her with neutralizing solution. And, and, uh, and within days, her legs had swollen up several times their normal size and the flesh had turned black and the skin was peeling away. And on heavy morphine, my wife would lay there and shake from the pain. And I'm standing by her side and I'm thinking, God, I was just here preaching a revival. The doctor took me out in the hallway and he said, I want you to know something. Where the burns are at, there's a high risk of blood clots. If they begin to develop, we will amputate. Do you understand that? I got in my car and I drove down the road and I bit my lip to keep from charging God foolishly. But the tears just pouring down my face, I was just a young man. And I couldn't understand it. Newly married, just excited about life. I had to go to church and preach holding a revival. I stood on the platform and there's this turmoil going on inside. And it suddenly dawned on me, you have two choices. You can stand here and feel sorry for yourself. Or you can stand here and give glory to God because he's your only hope. I'm not trying... I'm not, I'm not trying to get your sympathy, your approval, or anything else, but I, I made up my mind. It was hard to do, but I raised my hands, 
and began to worship him and praise him. And I preached that night and the next night and so on. And this thing began to drag out. Weeks turned into months. They were not sure what to do, how to handle it. I guess we had bad advice, but this went on. My wife was in a wheelchair for six months. I carried her in and out of church in my arms, from the house to the vehicle, vehicle to the uh, wheelchair, and into, into the church. And it was a struggle, amen, too, to make ends meet. We were under the gun financially. We had... We, as newlyweds, we had no insurance. It wasn't long till the bills were coming in. They were threatening to take everything we had. There was a whole lot else that went into it that I'm not going to go into here today. A lot of other details that complicated the situation tremendously. This thing went on for over two years. Two years. And the wounds wouldn't heal. We would bandage and the wounds would start to heal, then they would break back down and they would ooze and bleed. And, and it was an embarrassment every time we went into a restaurant or out into a public place. We'd have people get up and move from where they were to get away from her. Her self-confidence was shattered, self-esteem, all of this. It was a deal, I'm telling you. And again, a lot of you have faced worse things than that. But the point I'm trying to make is this. We prayed and believed every day that God would heal her. We really did. I continued to preach faith. I preached healing. I did then. I do now. I still believe God is a healer. But after about two years, we ended up out in California preaching out there and somebody recommended a very renowned burn unit out there, Burn Center and UCI Medical Center in Southern California. And so I took my wife there, one of the foremost burn specialists in the world, a man from Germany, would come there and teach in that medical university. And so uh, we got an audience with him. He came in, there was about a dozen other uh, young doctors gathered around. He looked at that, he got angry with me. He said, why has this been allowed? to progress to this point. I said, I'm sorry. We were just acting on the advice we had. He said, it should have never happened. We need to do surgery right away. There's a possibility of bone deterioration and all kinds of other problems. We've got to do something right away. I said, can you give us a week? We scheduled for the next week. I spent that entire week fasting and praying. I didn't eat a thing for that whole week. And I prayed. I said, God, you have one more chance to work miraculously in this. You know what? It didn't happen. God did not heal her in that way. She had to go through the surgery. There were complications for several other months before she was finally able to start getting on her feet. She has problems yet today. Bear with me. We were shortly after that preaching in a place where there was another evangelist and his wife. And she started, the, this wife of this evangelist started in on me pretty quick and saying, uh, did you ever have brother so-and-so pray for her? I said, no, we didn't. I didn't even know brother so-and-so. Well, you should have had brother so-and-so pray for her. And I'd try to change the subject and try to be polite. As I said, I, I, I at one time used to think of myself as being a very congenial person. 
I don't know if it's that way now, but it used to be. And I was trying to be polite and nice and not allow this to reach a confrontation, but she was relentless. And every day she would be honest. You need to take her and have brother so-and-so pray for her. i tell you what, you need to do it. And, and I'd try to change the subject. And finally one day, amen, when I tried to avoid or to avert the whole the situation, she said, real flippantly, she said, well, I'll tell you what right now. If you would have had so-and-so pray for her, your wife would have been healed. Before I could stop myself, I was on my feet. And I crossed over to where she was, and I put my finger on the end of her nose. And I said, let me tell you something, sister. The night that this happened, I made a long-distance overseas phone call to my father, who has probably seen more people healed in his life and ministry of any person that I personally know. He started praying for her that night. He got all the churches in South America praying for her. I called preacher friends all around this country. They got their churches praying for her. The word of mouth spread. Other preachers were praying. So that at any given time, there were literally thousands of people praying for my wife. And you mean to tell me none of us had any faith? I don't believe it. I don't understand the reasons. It is one of the situations in my life that I have not come to comprehend yet. I don't see the reason, the motive, the purpose in it at all. One, it turned out in many ways to be one of the biggest trials we had for many reasons. It's the one thing that I would change if I could, but it happened. All I can tell you is it was in God's purpose somehow. You can interpret it any way you want to. But we had to walk on the other side of faith. And don't you dare tell me that our faith was weak. Because our faith was strong enough to keep coming back to church. Our faith was strong enough to keep preaching on divine healing. Our faith was strong enough to keep believing in God. You can remain standing because I'm closing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'd just like for somebody to know today, if you're walking on the other side of faith, don't question your experience. Don't question your relationship with God. Don't wonder what's wrong with you. It's a good time for introspection, meditation, and consideration, as the Bible says. But when you're done with all that, hold your head up and just keep walking. Because there is a God who is grading you. And when it's all said and done, he is going to say, you've done well, my good and faithful servant. I'd like to say to some pastors today that are going through, pardon the expression, hell and high water. The enemy is trying to spook you and intimidate you by saying you must be out of the will of God. You'll have to find God's direction for yourself. 
But I'm going to tell you a lot of times it's just you got to walk through it, brother. You just got to walk through it. And you know what? When you can go to the meetings and hear somebody get, else get up and give a glowing report and you can raise your hands and rejoice with them, your faith is no less than theirs. When you can see God bless somebody else and you can be happy for them, your faith is no less than theirs. When you can see somebody else get their healing and you, amen, are dying by the day, your faith, if you will stay firm in God, is no less than theirs. I just wonder if there would be somebody here tonight, maybe if you'll just not even come out here, just kind of step out in the aisle. You're walking on the other side of faith today. And it looks, it looks dim, it looks dreary, it looks hopeless. Hallelujah. But I feel like the Holy Ghost is here to give us some hope and some help here today. Maybe this isn't what you came to hear, but it's what I felt in my spirit. Is there anybody? There's a few standing out here. If you see somebody like that, would you gather around and just pray with them a little bit right now? Know this, that your time may yet come. Your turn may yet arrive. Would you do it? Come on, let's start praying all over this congregation. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, do it anyway. Reach over and pray for somebody close to you if it's appropriate. Pray for them. Ask God to strengthen and help them. You don't know what folks are going through today. You don't know what folks are facing today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, church. Come on, let's let the Holy Ghost move here for just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions about tomorrow. There's been times when I didn't even know right from wrong. But in every situation, he brought me his consolation that my trials are only here to make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Come on, let's take advantage of it here for a moment. Let's let the Holy Ghost drive this home. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Kandolomo shatalamakaya. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I wonder if the ministers would like to come down around this front and pray one for another. Come on, men of God. Oh, yeah.
Yes, God. Just come down to the front. Amen. Hallelujah. Lay hands on each other around this front today. God, we want to be what you want us to be. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're here to strengthen one another. We're here to encourage one another. Come on, all the men of God, pastors, evangelists, preachers. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. another brother or two. Come on, help someone. Oh, yes, God. Yes, God. Come on, pray one for another. Pray one for another. Oh, yes, God. Yes, God. Oh, I thank you for your mercy and goodness and grace. Oh, God. Oh, I believe you, God. I believe you, God. Oh, yes, God. Oh, yes, Lord. I believe you today, God. I believe you today, God.
Amen. Brothers, I believe it'd be good if we'd just keep going around. Brothers on this side, kind of work your way around. You may need to meet a new brother. Amen. Speak a word of faith to someone today. Encouragement. Oh, yes, God. Yes, God. Come on. Let God break down every barrier. Oh. the way to preach, brothers, church, saints, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's many needs here today. There's many churches with needs. Brother, come to me and ask everybody to join together. Amen. A sister in his church with cancer. It's just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Sister Sherry Pennington. Hallelujah. Let's believe God for her. I know there's other prayer requests. You have someone back home, your church. Amen. You want to lift up your hand. Hallelujah. Saints, you got a need or request. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brothers, let's just gather around and pray over this brother in his behalf. Terry, yes. Amen. Let's gather around and pray. Half of Terry, God have mercy. Holy Kola Makayala Makayala Masaya. Stir Terry today, God. Oh, lay your hand on him, Lord. Trouble him every way. Sing this course together. Yes, give us some volume. Oh, yes. Through it all. Hallelujah. Give us some volume. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, 